0: Today, we're going back to Malachi. As, uh, as Cam was, uh, was saying a bit earlier, here are these people, they've been in exile in Babylon and they've come back to Israel to rebuild the nation. They have a vision of restored glory in the nation of Israel. Israel was quite a wealthy nation uh, before the exile, stood at the crossroads, the trade crossroads of Africa, Asia, Europe and the Middle East. And they were a wealthy nation because of it. When they came back from Babylon, uh, things were very difficult for them, very difficult. If you've um, read any of the stories of pioneering Australia, you know how difficult it is to bring an agricultural society to life. The, The variety and the changeable nature of the season plus... The Israelites were faced with uh, nations around them that were enemy nations generally, a bit more developed and um, and a bit more further along in the, the process of trade, but they were Israel's direct competitors. And so financially, physically, materially, they were doing it tough. But in all of that, God has not forgotten them God has not left them to their own devices, but they nevertheless nevertheless have questions. Where are you, God? Do we really have to do every single little bit of the law? Can't we just compromise uh, in order to make life a bit easier for ourselves? So Malachi comes with a word of correction, and we will be reading from uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. So each verse, thanks, Alyssa. Um do we not have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? The covenant being that sacred uh, agreement of love between the Jews and God. God said He would be faithful to the covenant. The people of God were required. To be faithful to him. Verse 11, up, other way, other way, <laughs> back, back, back to verse 11. <laughs> 11, next one. <laughs> Sorry, people, I'll just keep going and I'm sure that Alyssa will catch up. Um, it's actually my fault, I haven't made the PowerPoint in the correct format. Um, So verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. This is Malachi speaking, a word of correction to the people. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord. Verse 13. Ah, I see. Um, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Fourteen, you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be Unfaithful. Um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, Malachi chapter 2, 10 to 16. So the prophet begins this section with two questions. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? The answer, of course, is yes. We all have the same heavenly father who created us and he is the one God. Malachi reminds the people they have much to be grateful for and they owe their Heavenly Father obedience. As Christians, we know the full extent of God's grace and truth to us in Jesus. How much more do we owe Heavenly Father our obedience? Malachi goes on then, Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Malachi is pointing out that if you're prepared to break your sacred agreement with God, uh, then you'll also break faith with people. But if there was ever a time for the Jewish people to honour their promises to God, it was now. The people knew they needed God. Verse 13, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings. The people were in great need. They wanted God to come through for them in their their produce, their trade, and in their security needs. They hoped God would come supernaturally and restore the former glory of Israel. Now they struggled and they decided God's requirements were too strict for their circumstances, so they broke God's law for their own convenience, instead of trusting God and relying upon him. Here is God's first accusation in this section. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. This, of course, sounds rather harsh, in our present multicultural country. But intermarriage in the nation-state, the church nation-state of Israel, was expressly forbidden in the law because it would lead to participating in idolatrous sacrifices and feasts. That is exactly what happened leading up to the exile into Babylon. And it was called spiritual adultery. People made profitable alliances with the surrounding nations through marriage. Marriage was different in those times in that it was about the connections between families and marriages were always alliances of a sort. So this marrying of foreign, uh, foreign women, women, women who worshipped a foreign god, was about making stronger networks, strengthening uh, community ties for the purpose of being materially uh, better off. So this was happening before the exile and the people were taught while they were away in exile in Babylon, that was one of the main reasons that they were sent into exile in the first place. In fact, uh, at the end of that time, before the exile, um, there were even rooms in the temple of the Lord where idols were set up and worship of idols was happening. That's what Ezekiel tells us. And now, after spending 70 years in exile, the people come back to Israel and it's happening again. Within two generations, um, there was even these uh, marriages happening within the priesthood. Were they trusting God in all of this? It's hard for us to understand what was so bad about these marriages. But that's because there is no longer the religions that, were, that existed back then. They no, they no longer exist. Um, but these religions were fertility religions, they had all sorts of sordid things that you would not take a family along to as part of their, uh, their rights their sacrifices and their feasts. It got worse than that, in fact. Uh, There was even the um, human sacrifice and the sacrifice of children. That's how bad these religions were. And so God said, don't have anything to do with those people. Their uh, lifestyle, their worship is antithetical. It's opposite of what I am teaching you about purity family, honouring human life and honouring me. So that was the first part of this accusation against these uh, men who were, who were marrying foreign women. The question for us is, as the royal priesthood today who have received the grace of Jesus, the question for us is, Will we seek God's counsel for marriage? Will we trust God enough to go with his principles uh, in finding a marriage partner? 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can there be between light and darkness? This is not actually a principle specifically for marriage, but a general principle um, for not allowing ourselves to be obligated in a spiritual way. So it's not about friendship or loving our neighbour. People with different religious viewpoints, we still honour them, affirm them as created in the image of God and love them. That's what Jesus called us to do. But marriage is uh, one of the covenants, uh, the agreements that we make that actually brings an obligation with it, uh, an obligation in behaviour and in spiritual matters. So here are some of the ways that marriage to an unbeliever looks like. It means you're not of one spirit together. How can you be of one spirit when you have different religious spiritual beliefs? It means that uh, you don't pray together because how can you pray together with someone who doesn't have a faith? How can you pray together over those major decisions of life and be open to God to lead you? It means that you have very different life values. Your life values will conflict and grate as you are married. And... It means that you will have very different ideas about how to raise children. Um, that is actually one of the major sources of conflict in any marriage, anyway. But how can you expect somebody who's not a spiritual person or who doesn't believe in Jesus to have the same spiritual life goals that you have for your children to raise them up in the Lord? So, my advice to you if you're contemplating marriage with someone who hasn't committed their life to Jesus, make spiritual conversations a priority. As a Christian, you want the person you love to have the freedom and the security and the love that comes from a relationship with Jesus. At the very least, you would want to know that your future husband or wife is a genuine seeker of God in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, the New Testament actually has lots to say about mixed marriages. They're common in the early church because people were coming to faith from different backgrounds and, of course, they're still common today. Here are some of the scriptures that are really encouraging for us if we're waiting for a husband or wife to come to faith. And if if this is you, If you're already in a marriage where your marriage partner doesn't agree with you about coming to church or raising your children up as Christians, um, these are good scriptures to know and to meditate on. 1 Corinthians 7.14 says, God is sanctifying, that word means making holy, God is sanctifying your partner through your faith. It gives God a spiritual eden if you like for your marriage partner so just continuing in your faith is something that god can use and that god does use in your partner 1 peter chapter 3 and there's a few verses there about marriage keep praying for your partner and keep growing spiritually so that your respect and gentle inner spirit speaks louder than words. I love that. So that it says to wives, your husbands can be one without words. So we keep growing, we keep trusting, we keep praying. And finally, Second Peter 3.9. God spoke to me very specifically at one point and said, salvation is my job, not yours. You can't make anybody become a Christian. You can't make anybody change their faith or their views. They have to do that. And if they are listening to God, God helps them. Salvation is God's work and he is patient with all of us, with all of us, because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Well, let's go back to Malachi. There was an even worse accusation than marrying foreign wives. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So not only were these men marrying uh, women who worship foreign gods, they were actually divorcing their first wives in order to do so. The covenant to obey God is being broken and the covenant to love and honour their first wives is likewise being broken. An environment of moral compromise was encouraging certain men to divorce their wives in order to make a better marriage second time around. So what happened was they would grow up in their culture as Jews and and a Jewish wife would be chosen for them. That was the way it worked back then. But then as life went on and life was difficult there was a segment of the society saying we have to do better. We have to be uh, stronger, you know, fiscally and with our wealth. And we can do that by making alliances with the wealthy people who live amongst us. It doesn't actually matter that they don't worship God, that they don't worship the Lord. And so they would divorce The women, uh, their wives that they had from uh, youth, to marry these better connected women who uh, worshiped foreign gods from among them. God says the nation of Judah has been unfaithful and that the problems that they're having withdrawing the nations directly related to their unfaithfulness to one another. If they would be faithful to God, if they would trust him with their situation, if they would put their whole heart and their lives in his hands, then they would also be true to their wives and faithful to their wives. Jesus was asked about divorce. In chapter 19, um, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? If this sounds a bit strange to you, this question about men divorcing their wives, that's what it was like back then, both in the time of Malachi and in the time of Jesus. Men were able to issue their wives with a certificate of divorce. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. It's done. And he would hand the certificate to his wife And his wife, which in that culture, both in the time of Malachi and the time of Jesus, would take her young children with her and she would leave the house. They would leave his house. Uh, That placed them in a very vulnerable position, obviously. Uh, If they were lucky, they had a father still alive or an older brother who would take them back into his household and care for them. Because in those days, a woman couldn't go out and work as a secretary or she couldn't even work in a shop unless it was a family-owned business. Um, the only women who were single mothers in those, in those settings were the poorest of the poor. They had a really hard time of it. So here's a group of Jews at the time of Jesus who are saying to Jesus, um, is it okay... Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus says to them, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. He said a resounding no to the for any and every reason kind of divorce. But (laughs) we know what marriage is like. It's difficult. And it's because there are two people joined together to become one. Jesus taught us the original intention of God in marriage. We've been created in God's image. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three, but one. And then he created human beings in his own image, male and female, and when they married, they were joined together spiritually, not two, but one. How many of you know that being one in marriage is actually hard work? For some marriages, it becomes impossible. And so the very thing that God joins us together for, that finding fulfillment in being together, to being joined together, the very thing that God does in joining us gets ripped apart in divorce deep within our creative being is the knowledge that we are joined by God we're meant to be together but it gets too hard (laughs) the Pharisees certainly objected they said why then did Moses command that a man can give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away Jesus says Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts are hard But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That there is Jesus' answers to what the uh, men in Malachi were doing, committing adultery for their own uh, self-gain. Jesus said the only reason God permitted divorce was because our hearts are hard. There are some legitimate reasons for divorce. If there's been adultery, that is a legitimate reason for people to divorce because the marriage covenant of two people who became one has been violated. But still, Jesus said, those whom God has joined, let no one separate. That's our ideal. As people are following Jesus, that's our ideal. The standard, Jesus said. The question for us must be, are we doing everything we can do to be faithfully faithful and joined together to our marriage partner? Are we honouring them and respecting them with our words, with our attitudes, with our actions? Every marriage, if you're not married yet, can I just assure you, every marriage goes through difficult times, goes through conflicts because we are two different people because we have different ideas and we have different dreams, but we are nevertheless joined together. It takes a lifetime, really, of mutual submission, of mutual respect, of working through our arguments and our fights and getting to the point where we agree and reconcile. That's a lifelong um, work that we do in marriage. So do we listen to the people who will support our marriage and encourage us to work through our differences, forgive and reconcile when there is hurt? One thing I commonly hear is my spouse won't come to counselling. Another thing I hear is they just left and I never knew they were unhappy. If you know your marriage is in difficulty, find a wise person who will help you both to work through the issues that are separating you. I can recommend Cam and Jen as a couple who can support you as you work through conflict. In Malachi's time, there was permission to compromise their marriages and divorce. And we live in a similar culture today. We have, in effect, the any and every reason for divorce culture. So, there is provision in God's law for divorce. There is. It's there in the Old Testament. Because some marriages do break down. But Jesus is asking us to be countercultural and help people who want to rebuild their marriages. Let us be a safe place for people who can open up about their difficulties. Let's be a people who offer strength to make good decisions about relationships. Let me go back to Malachi. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So, be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. In Malachi, God links the action of his spirit that makes people no longer two but one, with the godliness in marriage that results in godly children. In the book of Nehemiah, that tells us the story of the everyday struggles of the people as they returned from exile. It says, Half the children of foreign wives spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. It seems... Little attempt was being made to convert these women or or the resulting children to faith in God. Many of the children could not even speak their father's language. You have to wonder how often the fathers actually spoke to their children. Further, of course, the first wives that they divorced were displaced and in a vulnerable position. None of this was conducive to children being brought up in love to serve God. I actually have a funny story about this particular verse, verse 15. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I was making the decision about what I would do with the rest of my life after finishing my Bachelor of Arts. And I, um, I had two majors to, to choose from, psychology or politics. And I think I had probably made a decision, but I said, so God... What do you want me to do with the rest of my life? It's a kind of dangerous question actually <laughs> because what God did was he dropped one word into my mind very clearly. He said motherhood. <laughs> I said God actually I've already discussed this with my husband we're not going to have any children. That's what we decided. I want to go on and have an academic career. I think I'd be good at that. Can't I serve you better like that, God? Well, God didn't answer me straight away, so I thought, I will. i just pushed that aside. So that night, as I went to bed, I wasn't really tired enough to go straight to sleep. I thought, I'll just read the Bible, you know, that'll put me to sleep. So I opened up the Bible, And my eyes read, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does God seek? Godly offspring. I said, that wasn't God. (laughs) That wasn't God. (laughs) Or was it? (laughs) So I said, okay, God, I think I'm getting a message here. But I'm not really convinced. So, if it was really you, I want to open the Bible again and I want to read something about children. So, just opened my Bible at random and I read this. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. I was starting to feel that off the hook. And then I read teach them to your children and to their children after them. Oh, thanks, God. Not just motherhood. You want me to be a grandmother as well? So we now have three wonderful children in the course of time, and I wouldn't be without a single one of them. God cares deeply for children, all children. Are we teaching our children that they too can know Jesus? The purpose of marriage is not just for the couple themselves but for the building up of a godly community and the blessing of the next generation. Everything that God commands us is for the blessing of others. Everything. Yes, God loves us individually, but he has made us a good and right-living people who are called to build a good and right-living community. We have kids' ministries here because we recognise that God speaks to children and calls children to have a personal relationship with Jesus, just as adults do. We don't teach to replace what parents are doing in their home. The, uh, the scripture that I read was talking about the things of God, remembering what you've seen of the things of God, and placing them at such a priority that you will teach them to your children, share them with your children and your grandchildren. Well, finally, in this section of Malachi's prophecy, God says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. It seems that that verse, verse 16, is one of the hardest in Scripture to translate. And so you will have read it in different versions and it will say something slightly different, things that don't make a lot of sense, like covering your garment with violence, for example. But the, uh, the contemporary uh, NIV that we read from takes the meaning from the context. So it says the man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. God hates divorce because of the pain and damage it causes. Remembering that in this context, men were willfully dissolving one marriage so that they could enter into another one. God says this does violence to the one that they should protect. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. It was just plain wrong. Now, I suspect that almost every person in this room has been touched by divorce in some way. If we haven't experienced it personally we have a loved one who has. We know divorce is emotionally painful and full of loss and grief. It's not God's original plan for us. He created us to be a people that experience fulfilment in being two made one. But it's not always like that. God walks with us through every trial and hardship, and he knows our hearts. He alone knows our hearts. He knows we're trying to do life in a broken world, filled with broken people. That's why he sent Jesus to us. Grace and healing, comfort and hope are all found in Jesus. And Jesus promises to walk us through whatever is going on in our life. If you are experiencing brokenness or conflict in your marriage, find a wise friend or counsellor. If you're experiencing the grief of divorce, there is hope in Jesus. Loss and grief take time to process, but we are a community committed to no one walks alone. Let us, as a people, be as safe non-judgmental place that, that we nevertheless can give people the truth in love, yeah? But we need to be open about our own vulnerabilities, our own problems in marriage if we are to uh, help those that come to us with their own problems. We all have them, but God is faithful. And God is supernatural and God is our healer. God wants to pour out his spirit of love into our hearts all the time and to give us hope. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. For the people in Israel at the time of Malachi, They made some hard decisions and came to a different place as a people who recognised that purity was marrying those who served the Lord. For us, we're in a different place in our society today. We are going to mix and to love and to care about people from all different sorts of faith backgrounds. God does have wisdom for us to see our way through in marriage and in remarriage and in marriages where we are, different faith backgrounds. Nothing is impossible with God, nothing. Let's pray.